the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. The word. Speed away. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ. Okay, so we're going to finally finish the book of Ruth. I apologize uh, that I have not gotten back to to look at chapter 4, but we are going to do that today. And we're going to start off with... The saying, have you ever heard, you know, the saying, you can't get there from here? We all have. We, we know this. And apparently the saying began in Maine, where it was used in response to a person asking directions to a distant location. But, you know, it couldn't be accessed without real extensive, complicated directions. So you couldn't get there from here was, was said. Apparently that's the way it is in New England, all over the place. But I want to use that phrase, you can't get there from there from here, as a launching point for this final lesson in the book of Ruth. So, tr- we need to trust God. Th- this whole chapter is about trusting God on life's journey. Because that's what Naomi and Ruth had to do. And that's what all of us have to do. And the truth is not that you can't get there from here, but that you can't get there from here in a straight line. We can't expect... Excuse me. We can't expect that our lives are going to be a smooth and straight line from where we are to where we want to go. We need to trust God on life's journey because our journey isn't going to be like a straight interstate highway through Arizona, here where I live, on the I-8 or 10. Rather, it's going to be like a highway through the Rocky Mountains. It is going to be a journey that has dead ends. It's going to be a journey with ups and downs. There will be turns and sudden stops. And this journey that Naomi and Ruth have found themselves on was a hard one with mostly downs and, and what looked like dead ends. But one of the key lessons we learn from the book of Ruth is to trust God on life's journey. The setbacks that we experience in our lives may very well be the way that God is leading us to a place of favor and joy. Now, we started the series referencing the old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, because it encourages us to realize that, as the verse says, the clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings. And judge not the Lord by feeble sense, But trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Okay. So, as we have moved through the story of Ruth, we have seen that they experienced a series of setbacks, right? 
Chapter 1, Naomi and her husband and, and two sons decided to leave their homeland in Judah on account of the famine. Then her husband died. Then her sons married Moabite women but had no children. Then her sons died, leaving two widows in the house of Naomi. And even though Ruth decided to stay with Naomi, chapter 1 ends with Naomi's bitter complaint. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Chapter 2. Naomi began to have new hope because Boaz appeared on the scene as a possible husband for Ruth, but Boaz didn't propose to Ruth. He didn't make any moves in that direction. At least, that's the way it seemed. So the chapter closed, brimming with excited hope, but also with great suspense and uncertainty about how all that might work out. Chapter 3, Naomi suggested that Ruth make a risky move in the middle of the night. So according to the plan, Ruth went to Boaz on the threshing floor and, and said, In effect, I want you to spread your wing over me as my husband. Boaz, pleased by Ruth's proposal, said he would be happy to be her husband, but there was another man who, according to Hebrew custom, was the head of him and had to be given the first opportunity to be the kinsman redeemer. Boaz promised Ruth that he would take care of the matter first thing the next day and that she would have a husband, either him or the other kinsman redeemer. So chapter 3 ended with the cliffhanger. But now, here's the exciting conclusion to the story of Ruth. And it begins chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Eli Malek. So I thought, excuse me, so I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here, and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Oh, man. Now, when the Bible says that Boaz went to the gate of the town, we need to understand that the gate of an ancient town was very different than what we picture when we, we think about gates. It, it wasn't like a gate at a chain link fence, nothing like that. It was more likely a large rock structure that was built into the rock wall that surrounded the city. The gate likely had wooden doors and has probably was like two-story talls, and, and the gate was usually included with a courtyard where business was done. So first thing the next morning, Boaz goes out to this city gate where business was concluded. He sits down there. The Bible tells us uh, that the family redeemer whom Boaz needed to see came by. How many times in the story of Ruth have we seen things just happen coincidentally? Naomi and Ruth just happened to arrive back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Ruth just happened to end up gleaning in the field of a nice man named Boaz who just happened to be a potential kinsman redeemer. 
Boaz just happened to come to the field where Ruth was gleaning the first day she had come to glean. And now the very man who Boaz needed to see just happened to come to the city gate. I see the finger of God in all of this. So Boaz invites the man to come over and sit down. Now keep in mind that Boaz bears uh, this man no ill will and remember that they're related to one another. The man's not referred to us by name. He's simply called the family redeemer or the kinsman redeemer. He is related to the deceased and can redeem his wife and property. We wonder where this man has been during the harvest and if he even was aware that Naomi and Ruth had returned to Judah. <coughs> Excuse me. Boaz then had to gather up enough men to witness this official business. He was uh, unable to he was able to gather a group of 10 respected elders of the community. And uh, since they were in a public setting, I'm sure they also attracted the attention of those walking by. That was a good thing for Boaz. He wanted his actions to be public record. So by the end of verse 2, we have this kind of a courtroom set up here ready to go. And there are two laws about the next of kin that stood behind the business that Boaz needed to conduct. First, First law involved the land. The economic structure outline in Leviticus 25 gave the Lord ownership of the land, gave Israel the use of the land. And individual families were given the rights to specific parcels of land from generation to generation. The use of the land could be sold for a number of years, but the year of jubilee law and the kinsman redeemer law provided ways for the land to return to the family to whom it originally had been given. The second law involved legacy. If a man died without an heir, his brother was to marry the widow according to the law of the Leverite marriage that we've explained in this series before. So the first son would be the heir of the deceased man and he would perpetuate his name and inherit his property rights. Boaz decided to start the proceedings with a discussion about the land rather than the legacy. Now, this is the first mention of Naomi's land in the book. We had, we had no idea that Naomi's, uh, uh, that she had the land, although we should have, because all of Israelites were given a portion of land. We are also not told if anyone had been farming the land or whether it had been harvested or why the land had provided no support for Naomi and Ruth. The death of Naomi's husband had left the land in limbo, there was no child to inherit it, and Naomi could do nothing with it. There is the possibility that Naomi's husband had sold the temporary rights to the land when they moved to Moab. Maybe. We don't know. If so, the family of Naomi's husband had a legal right to be first in line to buy this land back and pass it to a male heir. To our dismay, the kinsman said at the end of verse 4, I will redeem it. But we don't want him to redeem it, do we? We want Boaz to do it. So there seems to be a setback. And the irony of the setback is that it is being caused by righteousness. This man was just doing his duty. By redeeming the land, he was supposedly helping Naomi out and acquiring some good land in the process. So just when we are about to cry, oh no, stop the story. That's when Boaz brings up the next question about legacy. 
specifically Naomi's widowed daughter-in-law. Look at verses 5 and 6. If you've got your Bibles, I'll read it. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, Whoa! <laughs> I cannot redeem it for myself, because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption, for I cannot redeem it. That's to our great relief, right? The kinsman says he can't can't redeem it. He encourages, encourages Boaz to do it. I think he quickly realized how Ruth changed the equation and the transaction. If he purchased the land and fathered a son by Ruth, then the land he purchased would go to the child. And it may even jeopardize his own inheritance. So apparently maybe he didn't have a child of his own. Um, sorry. And this would mean that he would have spent money to purchase the land and he would have then have to spend money caring for Naomi and her family, but then lose the right to the land. So ultimately, that's not the best um, transaction if you're just thinking about economics. So with all that in mind, he gave up his right to be the kinsman redeemer. All right. So ultimately, Boaz wasn't interested in the land, though. We know that. He's interested in Ruth, and he was interested in taking care of Naomi as well. So... Let's take a look at his intentions, verses 7 through 12. Uh, verse 7. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was a, the manner of the attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Eli Malek and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Mahalon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance, so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. All the people who were in the court and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrath and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, though the offspring, through the offering which the Lord will give you by this young woman. The author of Ruth realizes that many of the later readers, especially us today, would not be familiar with the sandal practice. <laughs> so he explains the ritual. <coughs> it's like an official handshake. Or signing on the dotted line, I find it to be a little odd. I would not want somebody to hand me their used sandal, I think. But that's what they did. So Boaz called upon the present, uh, those present to be witnesses, clarified in detail what he was doing and by purchasing the land, marrying Ruth to perpetuate the deceased man's name. 
People accepted their role as witnesses, agreed, and uh, agreed upon the upcoming marriage of Boaz and Ruth, and they even offered a blessing upon them. How wonderful is that? So our story has many twists and many turns, a lot of ups and downs, but concludes with something along the lines of, and they lived happily ever after. We don't get that much, do we? We don't see that much in, in our stories when it comes to men and, and women here on earth when we're reading through the Bible. Not too much, and they lived happily ever after. Although we do have, we will live happily ever after for us Christians in the next life. But look there in chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord, blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So then they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So at this point, God's favor and blessing came shining through for Naomi and Ruth, like a brilliant rays of the sun breaking through the clouds, right? God granted conception to Ruth. gave her uh, She gave birth to a son. Likely a serious question as to whether Ruth was barren, but... Uh, we, you know, it seems like it. Naomi and her sons were in Moab for 10 years, right? While there, their sons married, then died. But we're not sure how many years they were married, but no no children. Um, but how wonderful that God had granted Ruth the ability to conceive and give birth to a son here. And as I said in the beginning of the lesson, we can't expect that our lives are going to be smooth and straight from uh, where we are and to going where, wherever it is we're, or to going to where we want to go. We always have one curve after another, ups and downs. We don't know what's coming around the bend or over the next hill. And so you and I, we need to be trusting God on this life's journey. And did you notice how the child wasn't only important to Boaz and Ruth, but also to Naomi? I love this picture. Here's Naomi. She's sitting there with her grandson on her lap, helping to raise him. That's great. The story begins with Naomi's loss, but it ends with Naomi's gain. It began with death, and it ends with birth. The women of the neighborhood like to, to say, a son had been born to Naomi. But wasn't he born to Ruth? Why say he was born to Naomi? Well, they said it to show that what Naomi had said in chapter 1 was not true. The Lord had not brought her back empty. Like Naomi, we all need to learn to wait and trust in God. Because in the end, all of our complaints against God will prove untrue. Ruth was written to help us to learn to trust God, even when the clouds are so thick we can't see what God is up to, and we wonder if God is even there, like Naomi, right? Let's be reminded of the fact that it was God who acted to turn each setback into a stepping stone to joy. And that in all of our bitter providences, 
uh, in all of our bitter pro uh, providences, it is God who is plotting out for our good. But this sweet story is a lot more than just a story of an old grandmother hugging a new grandson in a Judean village. The grandson's name was Obed, who was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of the future King David. And so we begin to realize all along something far greater was taking place beyond what anyone could imagine. God was not just you know, plotting for the temporal blessings of a few Jews in Bethlehem. Rather, he was preparing for the coming of the greatest king that Israel would have, David. And the name of David carries with it the hope of the Messiah, the new covenant peace with God, righteousness and freedom from pain and crying and grief and guilt and death. Now, I, I don't want to suggest that the book of Ruth guarantees that all people who experience trauma find the same kind of return to happy normalcy. Eli Malek and his two sons and all of the other people who may have died during the famine of Judah experienced untimely deaths. We live in a world of hardship and heartbreak, a world of hatred and bitterness, a world of violence and abuse, selfishness. All these things lead to suffering and questioning, and God wants us to bring that suffering and those questions to him. Sometimes God takes the suffering away. Other times he simply helps us bear up under it. Our questions may never get answered, like for Job on this side of heaven. But God knows the answer, and God is the answer. As the old hymn said, farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. We'll understand why. But like the two women in our story, let's take our suffering and questions to God. Let's trust him on this life's journey. Now, one one thing in this story reveals uh, this story reveals is the importance of having relationships in the midst of bitterness and trauma. Naomi and Ruth, each with their own set of disappointments and anxieties, stayed together and walked together. The community of Bethlehem welcomed them. A farmer named Boaz took special interest in them. Later, when Ruth had a baby, the community rejoiced with Boaz and Ruth and Naomi. The stable community of Bethlehem and the relationship of, between Boaz and Ruth and Naomi are what helped them work through their bitterness and their trauma, right? Isolation is the devil's tool for destruction. He loves to get us away from others and all alone. We need each other. And so let's be there for one another. Let's make sure we allow ourselves to be there for uh, others to be there for us when we are weak and hurting. We are living in a society that is self-centered and all about me. In fact, uh, the theme for that uh, I'm going to be preaching on for this year in 2023 here at North Valley is what are you going to be in 2023? And I, I'm basing that on what I'm seeing in our culture. We are so self-centered. That's bad. We need to learn to love one another again. I want to conclude <coughs> excuse me. I want to conclude by reminding us of a lesson we have been learning throughout this series. And that lesson is that God is always working behind the scenes in our lives. 
Now, God obviously worked behind the scenes in the story of Naomi and Ruth. He didn't perform any miracles, did he? He didn't even speak. God didn't drop any bread from heaven. And yet, he was always there at work. God knows the path and the destination. And for that reason, many others, we can, and many other reasons, we can trust God on our life's journey. We can find God's gracious plan in the midst of life's pain. And when we faithfully walk where God leads, we experience his favor. God's blessings of peace, his blessings of joy and strength and endurance, wisdom and protection. And let me end by saying that there's no other better place than to be under God's wing of refuge. Correct? And we are living in difficult times. We're always living in difficult times, but it it does feel like things are getting worse. And I know I say that all the time. You're probably like, oh, doom and gloom, Chris. I hope you don't think that. I try not to. I know I used to talk a lot about the news and our response to that news. But that's been it was, it was getting to be such a downer to me, I, I stopped. And so I thought, I'm just going to focus on lessons straight from the Bible and, and stay away from the news. Because we know, and we're getting enough of that, and so we need, we need encouragement. And the encouragement is, God is in control. It may not look like it. But you know what? When you read through the book of Daniel, when you read through the book of Revelation, both those letters, books, are written to a people who look out into the world and think, how can we possibly be winning? How can God possibly be in control? We're losing. They're killing Christians. We're being oppressed. We're dying. And it does look that way. But God says, I'm in control. You've already won. Stand firm and don't give up. And it's still the same today. It may look bad. Oh, man, it, and it does. It looks bad. God's in control. He's already won. Don't give in to the fear that Satan is putting out there. God is in control. All we need to do is continue to be light and salt to this world. And he will continue to watch over us and bless us and give us what we need. We may not like what we get, but it may be what we need. And as long as we stand firm in the end, he will give us that crown of righteousness and we will get to go home to a better place. Christmas is coming up. It's time of joy, a time for people to actually, I hope, think about the things of Christ. I know Jesus wasn't born this time, but I'm always happy to see people thinking about Jesus. Use that opportunity. Redeem the time, folks, as we continue on in this life's journey. Thank you, God bless, and Merry Christmas. To all the lost of every nation, bring the message out. Send it up to sweep away till shut on the better day. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. Till the sinful world be one for Jehovah's mighty son. Bring it out. Bring it out. Bring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.